It's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of 1 Peter, so open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Last week, of course, we had the BSF emphasis, so we were not meeting here. And then the week before that, of course, I was in the hospital, and so Brad was teaching and filled in for me. So the last time that we studied 1 Peter was actually on March the 16th, and when we were looking at the text that night, we were studying chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Tonight, we're going to move on now and go to chapter 3. So 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be looking tonight. Now, even though we're in a new chapter, we are continuing the same theme that chapter 2 talks about. So even though we're in a new chapter, chapter 3, we're continuing the theme of submission that is mentioned in chap- or outlined in chapter 2. Let me rehearse for you where we've been since it's been a couple of two or three weeks since we were there. In chapter 2, just kind of flip the page there and look at your text, look at your Bible. In chapter 2, we talked about submitting to the governing authorities and rulers that are over us. And, and the Bible says that we're to do that for the Lord's sake and because it is God's will. And we talked about this whole idea of submitting to those that are over us. Now, when we come to chapter 3... If In my Bible, I have to turn the page to get to chapter 3. I don't know how yours is laid out. But when we come to chapter 3, once again, Peter explains the concept of submission. Except this time, he shows us how it is to play out in the home. I want you to notice how this starts. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now, before you get called up in some of those words and you start getting your feathers in you know, all messed up. Uh, l- let's just talk about this first fr- three words, or, the, or three words at, near the first of the verse, in the same way. That's an important way to begin this chapter, in the same way. What is he referring to? Well, that phrase, in the same way, signifies that he's referring back to a previous discussion. What previous discussion is he referring to? He's referring back to the discussion of the example of Jesus. Uh, If you just, again, flip a page if you need to. Chapter 2, verses 21 through 25 is the example of Jesus Christ. And the point is, just as Jesus was submissive to God and obedient to God's will, so a Christian husband and a Christian wife should follow his example. In the same way, just like Jesus was submissive to God and to God's will, in the same way, Christian wives and Christian husbands should do likewise. So let me say quickly that this text is not just about wives. Lots of times that's where people land. In fact, in my Bible, at the heading of chapter 3, it says wives and husbands. So it's not just a text to wives, it really is a text to wives and husbands and describes the give and take of a Christian home. Now, let me remind you that when Peter wrote about marriage, he was not writing from some remote monastery. This is a very important point. I want you to hear this. When Peter writes what he does, in just a few moments we'll read it, when Peter writes what he does about marriage, he's not writing from a remote monastery. Uh, As you read these words, you need to remember Peter was married, all right? He's not a monk living in a monastery and talking theoretically about marriage. Peter was married. Now, how do we know that? We won't take the time to read it, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 30, it refers to Peter's mother-in-law. So if he had a mother-in-law, he probably had a wife, right? And then 
Paul says something about this. We will take the time to read this. Stick your finger there in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Go over to the left. I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter nine. Paul is is kind of defending himself here in this text about his rights as an apostle, and he says something interesting in verse five. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Now Cephas is another name for Peter, and so Paul makes the case. Listen, if I want to, it's okay for me to take my wife. There's debate whether or not Paul was actually married. He's not specifically stating here that he was married, though he could have been married. But he's making this case. Read it again. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us that is on our missionary journeys? Don't we have the right to bring a wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Peter? So Peter not only was married, Peter, it appears, often took his wife with him when he went on these missionary journeys. So, I think that's an important distinction uh, to make, that in, when we read about 1 Peter 3, this is not written by a, a monk who doesn't know the real life, and, and he's hidden away in some monastery somewhere. This was a man of God who was married to a woman of God, who served the Lord together. And as they served the Lord together, I'm sure this issue came up in their home too. And so Peter writes about this for, for everyone, ourselves included, to read. And here's what he says. Now, he says, Wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Now, you may say, Pastor, that sounds kind of familiar. Didn't you talk about this recently? I did. I'm glad you remembered. Uh, we talked about this on January the 30th. I had, I had to look it up, but I knew how I had addressed it recently. I, I did a series called Conversations. And in that series, one of the messages was, Make Them Curious. That was the title. And it talks about wives living in submission to their husbands and living in such a godly life that it makes the unbelievers curious as to why you do what you do. And so I have already addressed this text in recent days. So... Because of that, we're not going to spend a lot of time on verses 1 and 2, but we're not going to skip it either. You may have slept since January the 30th, and you need to be reminded. Or maybe you weren't here on January the 30th, or those watching online, uh, you, perhaps you didn't hear it either. So we're just going to hit some of the highlights of verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to move on. But I did not want to skip it. So let's just start with this word that jumps out off the page. Wives, in the same way, be submissive. To your husbands. That's the word that jumps out at us. The word submissive. And the word literally means to subject yourself to another. To voluntarily subject yourself to another. Or you could put it this way. It, it has the idea of following the, the lead of somebody else. Obe I should say it this way. Obediently following the lead of someone else. Or, to put it another way, submission is not about inferiority. It's not about the husband is superior and the wife is inferior and wives, therefore, you submit. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not what the Scriptures talk about. But rather, it is voluntarily recognizing the husband's God-given role as the leader in the home. 
Wives, you should voluntarily recognize the husband's God-given role as the leader in the home. Now, I debated whether or not to do this because, uh, you know, I've got to have surgery on Friday and I don't want to get hurt before then. But let, let me give you a practical example of how this works out in the shorter home, in the shorter household. Uh, and I've shared this before in other contexts. You may or may not have heard me share this. But when decisions need to be made in our house, Lisa and I will discuss the issue and we try to make a joint decision. And most of the time we do. Most of the time we make a joint decision. And most of the time I just, oh, I just kind of do what she wants, her, wants to do, you know. And that just, it doesn't matter to me. Guys, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it really doesn't matter. You know, whatever you want to do is fine. Or, 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 or we will discuss it and we will both come to a conclusion. This is the best course of action and it's a joint decision. Now, occasionally, doesn't happen often, but occasionally there will be an issue where we just have different viewpoints. And we will just talk about it. We'll discuss it. I think we should do this. She thinks we should do that. And on those rare occasions where we cannot find common ground, Lisa will say something like this. Okay, God has appointed you as a spiritual leader in our home. And I'm going to trust you to make the right decision. And I hate it when she does that. (laughs) You know, I I hate it when she does that. Because one, I know she's right. And number two, she's just dumped all the pressure on my shoulders. Like, okay, it's up to you now. You make the right decision. She's doing exactly what she should do. But I just, I try not to get in that position. I would rather it be a joint decision. Now, um, some of you may say, well, pastor, that works well if you're married to a pastor. But I'm married to a jerk. You know? And he doesn't even come to church half the time. How am I supposed to submit to him? He doesn't even come to church. How am I supposed to submit to him in spiritual leadership? Well, The reason I told you that is because I want you to see what verse 1 says. Look in verse 1 and see if you see a a, a male figure that is a godly man. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. In other words, Peter was saying, listen. Wives, some of you are not married to godly men. You're not even married to a Christian man. You're married to somebody who's not a believer. And even in that situation, Peter gives the same advice. Isn't that interesting? It's not, okay, this is good advice if you've got a godly husband. That is not what he said. He said, this is the advice for you to follow. And wives, let me talk to those of you who are married to ungodly, unbelieving husbands. And here's the advice. So keep, keep that in mind. Um, now, Peter isn't writing. Let me, let me try to clarify this and we want to move on. Peter is not writing to, quote, put wives in their place. That is not his intent. That's not his purpose. This scripture is not about power. This scripture is not about control. The scripture is about yielding to the plan and the purposes of God. Who created the first husband? The first man? Easy question, right? Who created the first man? God did. Who created the first woman? Who created the first marriage? Who better to tell us how we should function than the one who created it? God. 
Now, Peter says that biblical submission has a greater purpose than just domestic order in the home. Uh, I want you to read verse 1 again and look at the bigger picture. Wives, in the same way, be subject to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. What Peter's talking about here is when a Christian wife lives a Christ-like life, her attitudes, her actions can win over a husband who might otherwise be hard-hearted toward biblical truth. Um, Now, let let me say one other thing, because I know we might have some people watching online, and and maybe even someone here, and I want to be very, very clear about something. I want to be sensitive to an issue, and that is, Peter is not, hear me, Peter is not addressing abusive relationships. All right, that's not what this text is about. And the reason I say that, just a few days ago, I saw an article of a pastor, pastor slash counselor, in California, who counsels women to stay in abusive, physically abusive relationships for the same reason that missionaries live in hard places. Can I give you a Hebrew word for that? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. This is not what Peter is saying. Uh, Peter is not counseling women to live in an abusive relationship. Peter is writing specifically to Christian women who are married to unbelieving husbands. That is the focus. Christian women who are married to unbelieving husbands. And Peter seems to have in mind that their consistent, godly, virtuous character can have an impact on their unbelieving husbands. Listen, he describes it this way. I I like the way he describes it in verse 2. When they see, that is these unbelieving men, these unbelieving husbands, verse 2, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, Peter said, when they see this, they're not going to be able to ignore it. When they see this, they're going to respond, not necessarily to your words, but they're going to respond to the way they see you live your life. And so we could talk some more about submission in the home on verses 1 and 2. But the rest of the text tonight, dealing with verses 3 and, 3 and following, there are words of instruction. He moves beyond submission to talk to wives and to talk to husbands. And Since we've already dealt with submission in a previous message, we're just going to go on now. So let's start at verse 1 again and read through. And then we're going to talk about helpful words to wives and helpful words to husbands. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Then he offers some helpful words to wives. And in verses 3 and 4, Peter urges, put this on your notes, he urges the wives to watch what they focus on. Now, even if you're not married or if you're widowed, this is still going to be applicable, ladies. This is still going to be applicable in verses 3 and 4. Here's what Peter urges wives to watch what they focus on. Here's how he says it, verse 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
one possibility we always face in life is emphasizing one thing over the expense of another. That we get so focused on one thing that we neglect the other. And that's what Peter is warning against here. Spending your time, ladies, he's talking to ladies, so let me talk to the ladies. Spending, now men, certainly we can have this same problem. But, but he's talking to ladies, so I'm just going to address the ladies in the audience and those watching. It's, it's, if we're not careful, we can spend our time decorating the outward person and neglecting the inward person. Now, I've got a confession to make. I, because I grew up in East Tennessee, I have seen some pastors and churches run wild with verse 3. You see what's in verse 3? Verse 3 says, your beauty should come from outward adornment, such as, I'm sorry, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. I grew up in East Tennessee where, where that became a verse that a lot of preachers jumped on and a lot of churches jumped on and frowned on ladies who wore makeup or who wore jewelry and that kind of thing. Uh, if you read the entire verse... Now check me out on this. If you read the entire verse, it does not prohibit all makeup or all jewelry because if it did, it would also prohibit all clothing. Because he says in verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. And some of the verses don't even say fine clothes. Some of the verses just talk about clothing. So the Living Bible and the New American Standard Bible translates these verses very well. So let me just read you these verses in those two texts. The Living Bible says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on jewelry or beautiful clothes or hair arrangement. Be beautiful inside, in your hearts, with the lasting charm of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. I like that translation. I like that verse. Then the New American Standard says, I really like this. Your adornment must not be merely external. I like that word merely. In other words, yeah, you can adorn the external, but your adornment should not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In other words, the internal attitudes of heart rather than the external adornments of the body are what really matters. Now, I, I put on your note sheet there, those that are here in the building, I've put on your note sheet that there, on that right-hand column a contrast, a word study that we're going to be doing for a few moments. There's an interesting contrast between two Greek words in these verses. It's a contrast between the Greek word cosmos and the Greek word cardia. Let's talk about that for a minute. Cosmos, literally, if you want to put it on your notes, it means adornment or beauty. Cosmos. We get our, our English word cosmetics from that word. Cosmos. Cosmetics. Uh, it refers to anything that's used to beautify or to decorate. Alright, so write that down. Anything used to beautify or to decorate is cosmos. It's interesting that Luke used this word in Luke chapter 21 to describe the decoration of the, or the beauty of the temple. Let me show you this in, in the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have time to turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. 
Some of his disciples, some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned. There's that word. How the temple was cosmos. How the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So this idea of cosmos is not just referring to makeup or hair, but it's, the, the, it's just simply the idea of, of adorning or making something beautiful decorating something, if you will. All right, So that's cosmos, the decoration of something to make it beautiful. Then the second word that's kind of contrasted here is cardia. Does that sound like anything in the English language today? Cardiac? Cardia means the inner self or the inner heart. The inner self or the inner heart, which is the source of true character. So in this, in this text, there is a contrast between the external and the internal. So look at verses 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward cosmos, from outward decoration, outward, de- out, out, outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, in contrast to that, instead it should be that of your Cardia, it should be that of your inner heart, your inner beauty, the source of true character and beauty. Think about this, the best way I can describe it, I was thinking today, how, how do I illustrate this? And I'm not trying to make a light, I'm not trying to make a joke, but, but cosmos is the work of human hands. Ladies, you stand in front of the mirror and, and you fix your face and you fix your hair and you know, you spend a good deal of time trying to get everything just looking the way it, you want it to look. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Uh, that. I'm not saying that at all. But, but that's the work of human hands. Cosmos. Cardia is the inner work of God. So which one should we focus on most? The outward work of human hands or the inner work of God? Cosmos may take you one or two hours. Cardia takes you a lifetime. One is the work of human hands. The other is the work of God in your life. So this is the case Peter's making. He's not saying, ladies, put your makeup away. That's sinful. That's not what he's saying. I started to make a comment and I've, I've caught myself. I'm, I'm going to move on. But what he is saying is this. Ladies, don't let it merely be the outward appearance you're focused on. Don't merely focus on trying to impress others with your looks. But rather than that, try to let the Spirit of God work inwardly. Because God is... Think about this. God is a lot more impressed with what He sees inside than what He sees outside. God's... I don't think... I may be speaking out of turn. I don't think God's going to look down and say, Boy, your hair looks good today. But God would be pleased with what he saw in your heart. If you had a love for someone. Forgiveness. and There's a spirit of gentleness in there. So how do, why do you think that? Well look at the text. This is, this is so encouraging and interesting. Uh, in the text what he says. He says in verse. Instead it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is of great worth in God's sight. You might want to under that, underline that. Which is of great worth in God's sight. 
Peter's going to make two very important points here in this text. First of all, he refers to the inner self as the, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You see that in the text? Look at this word. It should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty. The unfading beauty of the inner self. Uh, look up here for a minute. Let me tell you something. I, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to make a point. The unfading beauty is referring to the beauty that never goes out of style. And it's a beauty that never ages. In fact, it's just the opposite. It gets better with age. It's, it's again, it... Uh, let me say it this way. Inner beauty doesn't wipe off and it doesn't wear out. It's that inner beauty. Peter's making the point that, that this is an unfading and imperishable quality. And then he makes the point, as I pointed out, that this is important to God too. Because he says in verse 4, uh, which is of great worth in God's sight. Give me another translation besides the NIV. NIV says it's a great worth in God's sight. Give me another translation. What does it say? Say it louder. Verse 4, the end of verse 4. All right, it's very precious. In the sight of God. Okay. Alright. I, I put this on my notes. You might, this, this will summarize it. And then we're going to move on. Um, God's not impressed with the way you look. He's more impressed with the way you live. That summarizes it. God's not impressed by the way you look. He's more impressed by the way you live. And then, secondly, Peter urges wives to follow the example of Scripture. If you want to put that in your notes. Peter urges wives to follow the example of Scripture. He says in verses 5 and 6, For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. Isn't that interesting? He said, let me tell you how the holy women in the past sought to make themselves beautiful. How did they seek to make themselves beautiful? They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. She was yielding to his leadership is what that word means. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to what? To fear. You know why sometimes we don't obey God's word because we fear? Well, if I do that, what if he does this? We fear, well, if I do, what if he doesn't do this? We fear because we want to stay in control. We, we fear that we will lose control. We fear we're going to be taken advantage of. We fear that it's not going to work out the way the scripture says. We, the, Satan can keep us filled with fear. And that's why it's important that you see this phrase that he says in verse 5. He refers to holy women of the past. Watch this. Who put their hope in God. Holy women of the past. Who put their hope in God. I can't say that enough. Holy women of the past. Who put their hope in God. Or put their trust in God. And then. 
Peter moves on to speak to husbands. And all the women said, Amen. (laughs) Amen. Now, Peter doesn't let husbands go scot-free. In fact, though he only addresses husbands in one verse, that single verse contains three strong imperatives to men who are married. Now, let me go ahead and answer the question that somebody's going to come up and ask me afterwards. So I'll go ahead and answer it now. Pastor, why did Peter write so much to women, six verses, and so little to men? Only one verse. Because y'all need it more than we do. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) You have to keep it simple for men. There you go. You have to keep it simple for men. (laughs) Now let let me seriously answer that question. In a way, in a way, it is because the women needed it more, but let me tell you why they needed it more. In that era, in that, that time frame, as the church was growing, it appears that a lot of women were coming to faith in Christ, but their husbands were not. Now, the question is, how do they live out their faith in the home? So you have a lot of women who are struggling with the concept, what does it mean to be a Christian in my home? What does it mean to live out my faith when my husband doesn't share my beliefs, when he doesn't understand what I'm doing? How do I handle this? And so Peter is not trying to say, ladies, I'm going to put you in your place. Peter is trying to encourage godly women who are trying to live out their faith and to help them understand that what they can do to have an impact on their unbelieving husbands. So that's why, look up here for a minute, that's why he wrote this much to the ladies because they had a real problem. They were married to some ungodly men. And then he wrote this much to men because there weren't that many married Christian men in this area. I'm not saying in the world, but, but in the people that he was writing to. Apparently there were more, more women married to ungodly men or unbelieving men, I should say, and then, but there are some Christian men, and so Peter refers to the husbands in verse 7. And it's interesting, he begins with the same, uh, same phrase that he used with the ladies in chapter 3, verse 1. Husbands, in the same way. Compare that to verse 1. Verse 1 says, wives, in the same way. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way. In other words, just as Christian wives have certain responsibilities in marriage because of their relationship with Jesus and their obedience to Him, in the same way, Christian husbands have an equally important role to play as well. Christian husbands are also required to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ and in relationship with Him. In the same way, men. <clears throat> and then he gives three imperatives. Three instructions. And these... when. When it's an an imperative, by the way, it is not a suggestion. When it's an imperative, it's a command. He gives three imperatives to the men. And here's what he says. Husbands, in the same way, here's the first one. Put this on your notes. Be considerate of your wife. Be considerate of your wife. You might want to write this down to help you understand what he means here. Let me, let me read it again. In the same way, be considerate, be considerate as you live with your wives. What Peter is saying is, don't just share the same address, share the same life. I've seen too many men who come home from work and they're tired and they've had a hard day and 
they just shut down and they shut off their wife. And it's not like they do it once. That's just their standard operating procedure. That's the way they, that's just the way they live. They've had a hard day. They've worked hard. They've done a lot of things. So has the wife. But when they come home, they feel like, well, it's my right. I'm just going to shut down, shut off, watch TV. I might even go in a different room. And I'm, I'm just going to be isolated from everything. I, I just want it to be quiet. I'm going to watch the ball game. I'm going to shut everything away, including my wife. And you're sharing the same roof, but you're not sharing the same life. And sometimes men will push back. And say something like, well, I put a roof over her head. I put food on the table. I put clothes on her back. What more could she want? Can I tell you what she wants? She wants your time and your attention. She wants your time and your attention. Peter said it this way. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Guys, if we could just figure out how to live that one, that one sentence... It helps so many homes. Be considerate. Don't be an honorary snob. And I, I, I've had my own problems with that. Be considerate. Be considerate. As you live with your wives. Not as you live at your address. But as you live with your wives. Then he goes on and he just kind of turns it a little bit more. When he says number two, the second part of verse seven, treat your wives with respect. He says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, ladies, this is not meant to demean women. It doesn't mean that women are intellectually weaker than men or emotionally weaker than men. It's not referring to that at all. I believe, and many scholars believe, what Peter is referring to is physical strength. That our bodies are made differently. On average, I think most people would agree without too much of an argument, on average, men are physiologically built to have greater muscle mass than women. Now, there are some very strong women. I made the mistake one time, I'm not going to say who, when, or where. I made the mistake one time of just trying to be a nice man. Said, let me help you with that. She said, no, I can care. And I said, no, let me help you with that. I said, no, let me, let me. And we went back and forth and I grabbed it and it spilled right here. I told you I could do it. So there are some very strong women. I don't, don't doubt that at all. But on average... Men are physiologically built to have a greater muscle mass than women. I, I, let me just give you this illustration. I, I think most of you would agree with that. And if you disagree, don't, don't send me an email. Just, just say, God bless him. I'll pray for him. Um, if we were to have a tug of war between five men, on a, five average men and five average women, we, if we were to have a tug of war, which one would more than likely win? The men. Absolutely. Does that make the men superior to the women? No, that's just the way we're made, right? And by the way, ladies, you're tough in a different way. You give birth. God's created your body differently. You give birth. And I have often said, if men had to go through what women go through in child, childbearing, there'd only be one. 
There wouldn't be any families of two or three or four because men couldn't handle it. So, here's what he's saying. Treat your wife with, with respect. Give her the physical care and the protection she deserves. Look at the text again. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. I'm going to try to say something without... I'm going to try to get through it. You do something to me, I'll do my best to turn the cheek and treat you with kindness. You hurt my wife, and I'll do my best to take your head off. And I believe I'm mandated to do that. It is my responsibility to care for her and to protect her. You ask her, when we go to bed at night, my job is to lock the doors. And I go to every door and I check it and double check it every night. Because my job, my responsibility is to take care of her. To respect her as the weaker partner. I love that woman. And I want to respect her. One of the, one of the uh, commentaries I was reading said... Just to give you an idea of this, of what this word respect is, it, it, he said, think of your wife as an expensive vase. You're cherishing it and you're, you are taking care of it and you're trying to make sure nothing happens to it. So he says to the men, treat your wife with that kind of respect. Cherish her. Care for her. Respect her. It's the weaker partner. Not weaker mentally. Not weaker emotionally. Not weaker spiritually. Just physically different than you. So respect her. Take care of her. Then he says, see. And this is so important. The last one. Honor your wife as your equal before God. Honor your wife as your equal before God. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and, watch this, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And as heirs with you. Women experience the saving grace of God on equal terms with men. I want to make sure you hear me say that. Women experience the saving grace of God on equal terms with men. Spiritually, your wife is your partner in the Christian home. Your wife is not your subordinate. Your wife is your partner. You are, e you are, you are equal before God. Equal before the cross. And then, he has this interesting ending. Let's read the whole verse and then I'll emphasize the ending. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that, so that what, men? Tell me, one of, one of you guys, so that what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Have you ever tried to pray after you've had an argument with your wife? 
it doesn't work very well. Can I say I know from personal experience? It doesn't work very well. If you have an argument with your wife, and then sometime later say, well, it's time for me to have my quiet time. I need to open the Word. Oh, Heavenly Father, and you start praying. And God said, why are you talking to me? You need to be talking to her. When a husband and wife don't keep their married life intact, they'll have spirit, they'll have problems keeping their spiritual life on track. When, when you don't, as husband and wife, you don't keep your married life intact, you will have problems keeping your spiritual life on track. Men, treat your wives with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you as the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Marriage is like a barometer measuring our spiritual lives through this everyday relationship called marriage. So interesting to me that God says, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not treating your wife the way you should, it's going to mess up your prayer life. It really is. It's going to mess up your prayer life. In other words, watch this. God is saying, no, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Don't you treat her that way. In other words, this is important to God. Men, how you treat your wife is important to God. So that gives us a lot to think about. Whether you're married or not, there are some wonderful principles in this scripture to help us live out our faith. So let me pray with you about that. Father, I thank you for your word that is so applicable and so true. And may we live out our faith in such a way that it makes a difference, not just at church, but may it make a difference in our homes. May it make a difference in our marriages. And may we just be confronted by the word. And may we respond to the Word. May we respond to what You say. May we be like the holy women in the ages past. Who trusted in a holy God and obeyed Him. And I pray that in Jesus' name.